0: Okay, are we ready for our songs? The ants go marching two by two. Hurrah! Hurrah. The ants go marching two by two. Rah. Hurrah! The wheels on the bus go.
1: Rah, rah, rah.
0: <laughs> round and round, round and round, round and round. The wheels on the bus go. Hurrah! All through the town, the horn on the bus goes.
1: Beep, beep,
0: beep. Beep, 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 beep. The horn on the bus goes. Beep, beep, beep. All through the town. <laughs> the bell on the bus goes. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 The bell on the bus goes. All through the town. The people on the bus go. And.
1: Up and. Down. Up and. Down.
0: Up and Down. The people on the bus go. Up. and. Down. All through the town. The rappers on the bus go Bum Boom boom pow Boom boom pow The rappers on the bus go B-b-b-pow. All through the town <laughs> <laughs> Yeah It's it's more the dance moves than the rap <laughs> 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 Ooh, what's this song? London Bridge is falling
1: Down.
0: Falling Down. Falling, Down.
1: falling Down.
0: The Random Bridge is falling Down. My fair lady I'm bringing home a baby bumble.
2: Please.
0: Won't my mommy be so proud of me? I'm bringing home a baby bumble. Bah. 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 Oh, bah. there were ten in the bed, and the little one said, bah, bah, bah. Roll over. There were nine in the bed, and everyone said, Roll over. Oh,
3: boo-boo cakes.
0: Mm, magnificent. Oh, the operatic voice. It's too beautiful for words. Roll over. Roll over. All right. Bye for Daddy to do his show. Bye-bye, boo-boo. Love you. All right. Well, we should probably get going with the show. That's uh, the opening number. We've been working on that, of course, for uh, quite some time. Uh, she seems to be getting it down uh, quite well. So thanks everybody for joining us. This is the 28th of March, 2010, just after 4 p.m. Uh, hey, we're starting relatively on time. Excellent, excellent, excellent stuff. So I uh, hope you're having an absolutely wonderful week. And I was—I uh, just wanted to start off with something mildly philosophically uh, technical, which uh, I think would be worth remembering. When you get dragged into, shouldn't say that, when you get invited into a debate uh, with someone, uh, it is very, very tempting. And Lord knows I succumb to this temptation too, so please don't imagine I'm coming from any higher ground. But uh, it is very tempting to dive straight into discussing the details rather than the form, discussing the conclusions uh, and the evidence rather than the methodology. And the one thing that I would continually suggest and have it pasted up on my wall, along with all the other countless suggestions that I find of constant utility for me, the one thing I would suggest is to remember that the content of the argument implicitly contains the form of the argument. What I mean by that is there was an argument that somebody posted on the board recently where he said that he was having a conversation with his brother. I think it was. And his brother, no, it was some, someone on, on the web who said, well, but uh, human beings uh, instinctively crave power, and if you get rid of the state, that would create a power vacuum, and through that power vacuum, we would simply get another state. So human beings continually crave power and will use agencies like the state to dominate others. Now, I'm a big one, and I have been both praised and criticized for this, so take it as you like, but I'm a very big one for Screw philosophy in the abstract. I mean, I'm I could care less about philosophy in the abstract, in the Platonic sense. I am a base of the spine empiricist, a, a, a Randian, you could say, an Aristotelian, uh, a real empiricist. So what I mean by that is, if somebody's putting forward an argument that says human beings innately lust after power and will use evil and unjust means to achieve it, then they're making that as a universal statement, and so. I will ask the person who says to me, human beings instinctively crave power, and any time there's a power vacuum, they will try to unjustly acquire power over the other. I will say to that person, well, is that what you're trying to do to me right now? Right now. Bring philosophy out of the clouds, out of Platonism, out of Cartesian abstractions, into the here and now. Somebody says human beings are innately power-hungry. We use unjust means to gain power over others. They're saying that as a universal statement, universal statement about human nature, which means it must apply to them. And so it can't be human nature to crave power, because if somebody says, yes, that's what I'm trying to do to you right now, then clearly they're saying that they're trying to dominate you in an unjust fashion. And therefore, they, you know, the argument is sort of pointless. And if they say, well, they're not trying to do that to you right now, then clearly it's not a universal statement of human nature. Now, somebody posted and said uh, on the message board and said, well, couldn't you say that some people desire power? Well, of course you could. <laughs> Absolutely. But if you say that some people crave power, then you are not saying that it's human nature, right? You're not saying that it's human nature. Some people uh, really like very spicy curries. But that's not human nature. That's just a local cultural preference. Some people like Vishnu as opposed to Jesus, but that's not human nature. And if they say, well so and if they say, well, some people crave power, and they say, well, I'm not one of those people, right? So clearly, if somebody's debating with you, they are ostensibly using reason and evidence to make their point. Because uh, if they're not using reason and evidence to make their point, do not dignify the interaction by pretending that it is rational. That's very, very important. Do not dignify an irrational interaction by pretending that it is rational. That's the essence of dealing with trolls, of course, right? Do not dignify. I mean, don't debate. Don't don't give somebody the illusion that what they're saying is rational by engaging in a debate with them when they're not being rational. Just don't do it. Uh, But yeah, you could say, well, some people crave power. It's like, well, but that's a truism. I mean... (laughs) The sun will rise tomorrow and the world is round. I mean, that's scarcely saying that some people crave power is not a philosophical argument. Uh, all it is, is a completely banal a statement, a, a observation. I mean, it's completely banal. It's like saying, you know, people seem to like sex, you know, <laughs> like, well, and some people don't. I mean, can you imagine saying that with any seriousness? Um, and thinking that you're adding anything to the debate, some people like power. Well, of course some people like power. I mean, that's that's so obvious that, that it would be embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> you know, like going up to Richard Dawkins and saying, you know, Dickie D, life is different than non-life. And thinking you've added something profound to his understanding. It's just such a trite observation that it scarcely uh, has any interest. Uh, and And the thing that <laughs> what they're saying to you, this is another thing that I find quite important is that if somebody says something to you that is completely stone-boring, stupid, obvious, <laughs> I tend to get rather irritated myself, and I tend to not want to continue. Because if somebody says something to me like, some people crave power, I'm not saying this is the person on the board, he was just quoting as an example, but she... If somebody says to me, well, some people crave power, then I'm going to say, do you think that I genuinely am not aware of that? I mean, do you think that I am not aware of the fact that some people crave power? And if the person says to me, yes, I think that you are completely <laughs> unaware of the fact some people crave power, then I'll say, well, then I'm clearly not intelligent enough to have a coherent debate with. Because if I've reached the ripe old age of 43 and <laughs> studied philosophy for a quarter century... And have studied the world and done a true news series and, you know, I'm running the biggest, deepest, richest, most powerful philosophical conversation in history and I've not yet figured out that some people crave power, then I'm so retarded I make the stone golems on Easter Island look like Richard Dawkins. So then I just won't bother debating with someone because if they genuinely think I'm that dumb after studying things for so long, then they're not rational. (laughs) Right so I just I think it's really important to remember that if somebody says here's how human beings operate ask that person in the moment is this how you're operating right now and if they are and it's about dominance through power then you can dismiss their arguments because they're just a strategy to gain power over you and if they're not doing what they say human beings already do, always do then They clearly have just disproved their own thesis. I just think it's really, really, forget about arguing it. Look at the form of the argument that is coming, uh, coming ahead, coming to you. So anyway, I just wanted to sort of mention that. So uh, just to to remember, focus on the form of the argument, uh, not the content. The content comes later. But if you start to argue the content without understanding the form of the argument, then you're just not going to get anywhere. You're speaking a different language and you, I think insulting the art of rational discourse quite a bit. So anyway, I just sort of wanted to mention that to start with, but let me not intrude upon your absolutely uh, wonderful thoughts and uh, comments uh, on this uh, Sunday show.
3: Okay. Uh, Well, I had this dream when I was five Five. and um, Uh, it was probably one of the most uh, terrifying dreams I had. Um, I'm sorry. I'm a bit nervous. Um, um, see, it was about me and my mom. Um, um and, uh, we were, um, uh, we were driving, she, uh, she was driving me and, um, in our van to this, uh, this abandoned building, this old abandoned building. And, um, it's like in the middle of nowhere. Um, like the only thing that that exists is uh, the building, uh, her and her and me. Um, and right, right next to the building, there's this uh, there's this, uh, gigantic hole. It's like right adjacent to the to the building. Um, and uh, we stop the van, and uh, we walk outside to 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 Go in the building. I, I, I she, my mom, she, she, uh, she walks in the building and uh, she has to go. She walks downstairs, um, and I walk, I walk in the in the hole right next to the building. Um, and I remember there. I remember being being really scared because uh, there's like. I was afraid there was going to be a, a, like, a gigantic monster at the bottom of the hole. Um, and as I'm walking down the ladder, I can see my mom uh, walking down the stairs inside the building through the windows. Um, and she's carrying buckets of water. I'm not sure why. Um, but uh, I go deeper down the hole. Um, um, and, uh, I get really scared and, uh, I climb back up the ladder and I see my, my mom take off in the van, leaving me behind. And, um, and I was all alone and I just remember waking up and being really terrified.
0: Right. And do you have any sort of thoughts or ideas what the, uh, what the, the whole was
3: uh you mean metaphorically metaphorically yeah um no I, i can't think of anything
0: what was particularly frightening about it
3: what was frightening about it uh that it was really dark um and uh, and uh, and the fact that I I thought there was like a, a scary creature at the bottom.
0: Right, right. And uh, I guess you felt uh, nervous that you had to go go in alone, or were going in alone.
3: Yes, yes. I, w- I was in fact very nervous.
0: And why, so why were you going alone? in?
3: I think because uh, I uh I think because my mom uh uh hmm, why did I go in
0: um I mean, it's not usually relevant. You may not remember. Yeah, you may not remember. I've always found it very important, Uh, helpful. I was going to say something. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
3: Um, Yeah, I was thinking of like there. I remember there being like a treasure chest on the bottom. Maybe that's why what I was going for.
0: I mean, it sounds a little similar to one of the. I think the first dream that I can remember in my life when I was about three and um, which was digging in a forest to in a dark and frightening forest, though I did not feel scared by it. It was a sort of frightening forest, but I did not feel scared. And I was digging by uh, a light. Uh, I didn't see the source of the light, but there was a light. I was digging into the wet earth and found um, a cave with gold. Uh, And I think this digging is a metaphor that I've read from some other people seems to be not uncommon in early dreams. And I mean, there are perhaps some echoes of the birth canal uh, in it, though I'm not saying that's a conscious memory. But uh, I think that um, uh, children uh, really do burrow into the psychology of the family. I mean, they just, I mean, they have to, if it's a threatening environment, just to be able to survive the environment. But if it's not a threatening environment, there still is a great deal of energy that children put into uh, understanding their parents. And uh, I think that dream may have been some way in which you were trying to conceptualize um, your, your caregivers, your parents, right? And you were uh, trying to uh, figure out what was going on. And it does not seem to be a a bond, a bonding dream, right? You're not sort of going hand in hand into the sunset or the sunrise. Uh, You're not face to face, you're not hugging, you're not touching. There is a um, you kind of going down into the hole to find the treasure and your mom not uh, not doing that. And uh, I think that there's such a degree of intuitive perception in children. Uh, and I think that the this is something I've always thought, and fortunately, the research that I've been talking about with some of these experts is really bearing it out. That children can do statistical analysis, in a sense, by the age of eight or nine, that children... Uh, at the age of uh, 12 to 16 months can begin to show empathy and um, that uh, uh, children from 14 to 18 months uh, can begin to really understand the difference between uh, moral rules and cultural rules. Like we hang our, our coats on this hook, uh, that's the rule, versus don't hit, which is a more universal rule. They understand the difference. Sorry, I think it's a little eight, uh, older than that. I think it's 16 to, to, uh, to 24 months. But they can really understand the difference between these, these kinds of rules. And I think that children have an amazing ability to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to the family. And I think it is that very perceptiveness of children that makes them so dangerous to unstable caregivers, to caregivers who have emotional problems or who have fantasies or who have illusions uh, or who are aggressive or destructive or abusive. It is that very innocence, curiosity, and perceptiveness of young children that is such a danger, I think, to certain people. It causes them extraordinary anxiety. And uh, I can tell you this. I mean, (laughs) Isabella just turned 15 months, and she is a sponge- I mean, not just in terms of language and so on, but she absorbs everything that is, is going on around her. Uh, if she, We can be driving back from somewhere, uh, Christina and I, we can be driving back from somewhere, and we think that Isabella is either asleep or just staring out the window in the back, and we'll talk about something, and we'll use a word that she's familiar with, and she'll suddenly just repeat it back. Or that song that, that she sang at the beginning, that, you know, that would hand in the bed and the little one said, roll over. I sang that two or three times just to tell Christina that I'd heard this song that I thought would be kind of fun. And then the third time, um, Isabella sang, roll over, roll over. I wasn't singing to her. I was just singing to, to Christina. And so she absorbs uh, everything that is going on around her. And uh, that's something that <laughs> it's, it's, a little, it's a little odd. It's not creepy, but it's definitely a little odd. Uh, it's like having a camera on you, <laughs> sort of broadcasting at all times. Oh, wait, that's actually not that odd for me. But it's a little strange to to get used to that uh, the, the degree to which she absorbs everything that is going on around her. And I think that um, when we think back to our very early memories and our early dreams and our early thoughts and feelings and experiences, I think that we have a lot of information back there to think about, and the fact that you were going into this hole where there's treasure in the bottom, I think would be a pretty clear metaphor, and I think it's just as I was digging in the ground, which is creating another hole with treasure at the bottom, I think that is saying two things. One, I think it is saying that introspection or self-knowledge has treasure, right? The the digging, and it's frightening, and it's scary, and I think we've all experienced that when we go through personal growth or self-knowledge or self-examination that it's scary and it's upsetting and it's frightening for us and for other people. But there's treasure at the bottom. And I think that's really, really powerful. The other thing that's true, I think as well is that why would it be in a sense going inwards in a hole? It could be metaphorically, and Nietzsche used this metaphor all the time. It could be climbing a mountain. It's another way that you talk about self-growth, but going into a hole is going away from the world that that it is. It's going away from the world that is. And uh, I think it's almost in a sense that you, your mom is heading the opposite direction. So that's almost like if you go inwards, if you if you dig into yourself, into, into your history, into your life, into your family, into the moral reality of your upbringing and your circumstances and you, the world you live in, the culture, the society, everything, that uh, a lot of people will go the opposite direction, right? Because self-knowledge is a very powerful and very scary uh, thing. And it's still it's still very, very new. As I mentioned uh, in a podcast recently, uh, I'd like to do a history of this uh, if people are interested, but um, I think it's important to remember that child abuse as a phenomenon that is understood in society is really new. It was 1962, it's less than 50 years ago, 1962, that the battered child syndrome was first published where a physician wrote and this is something that had not been really conceived of before, uh, he wrote that he suspected that a significant number of the injured children coming into his office had been injured by their own parents. And this was like oh! it was unimaginable. It couldn't be thought of. And that's that's not very long ago at all, right? I mean, we, we've had nuclear weapons a lot longer than we've had the concept of, uh, of child abuse uh, in this sort of modern format. And... Um, uh, it's 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 something that is very new in the world. And that wasn't exactly popularized very often uh, after that. So, um, I think that there's a lot in that dream for you around self-knowledge and the treasure of self-knowledge, but also that often, though not always, when we go in towards self-knowledge, people kind of run the other way from us. Um, because... It is it is scary. So I'm sorry for a long and rambling response. I know that uh, yeah. we're having a little trouble hearing each other, so I didn't want to get into too much of a back and forth. But is that a useful way to approach the dream? Right.
3: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think when I got, I think I almost got to the bottom of the hole, and then then uh, I, I just got so scared, and I. I ran back up and I see my mom just driving off without me. So,
0: Well, and that's but that's entirely right. I mean, if self-knowledge uh, results in a hostility from your primary caregiver, and I think that you have found, at least to some degree, that that has been the case uh, in the more recent past. If self-knowledge results in aggression or abandonment from your primary caregiver, you have to give it up. I mean, you have to. You have to give it up. And I do believe, and I, I remember this very vividly from my own childhood, I do believe that it is with the greatest sense of loss and tragedy that we have to abandon and reject the pleasurable and curious exploration of our own thoughts and feelings because of the threats that it poses to brittle or unstable or dangerous families. I remember it so... I won't go into the details because it's really the cause about you, but I remember this so clearly... Having to let that go, because I really got at a very instinctual level, as I think most of us do when we're in that situation, I really got at a very deep level that to continue down the path of trying to figure myself out and trying to learn about myself, that that was going to put me in danger in my family. And what has happened as an adult for me has only confirmed what I knew at the age of four, Uh, or five, that uh, uh, self-knowledge was dangerous to others. So it makes perfect sense from a survival standpoint. Children want to learn about themselves. They want to figure out what's going on. They're as curious about themselves as they are about the world. They want to know how to work their hands, and they want to know how their souls work. That is uh, instinctive and natural to the process of being a child, as far as I remember it and from what I'm observing Uh, now, and also what I observed when I worked in a daycare. But it's a dangerous hobby uh, to have as a child. Hell, it's a dangerous hobby to have as an adult, right? So it is a dangerous hobby to have as a child. And uh, we have to let that go. We have to, you know, like a child letting go of a treasured balloon, um, we have to let that go when we're in those kinds of family situations, because the purpose is to survive. And uh, if self-knowledge threatens um, even the remnant of the bond with the caregiver, we have to let it go.
3: Right, right, right. So, uh, yeah, I, I, so that, what that dream made me realize was that I had to let go of the treasure in order to, to be with my family, with my, with uh, my parents who were, that I needed to take, that I needed for them to take, take care of me. So I, I needed to let go of that treasure.
0: Yeah. And not not forever, but at least for the time being. Uh, right, and, right. Uh,
3: yes. At least until I was old enough to, to,
0: to take another attended. run, right? Yeah. Take another run. And to realize how right you were in the past. I'm, I'm thinking of doing right. a podcast, and I won't go, obviously, into details right now, but I have on my list of podcasts to do... Um, what would society look like if it just accepted that children were right? Because right? every time there's a conflict between culture, religiosity, various kinds of social fantasies that adults have, delusions really, any time there's a conflict between the natural empiricism, rationality, and scientific nature of a child and the irrational destructiveness of cultural fantasies, It is the child who must conform. And I was just thinking the other day, well, what would happen if if society or parents or culture as a whole did not try to correct children but instead learned uh, from them? How quickly would we advance as a society? I think it would be staggeringly fast. We could do a thousand years of development in one generation if we did not try to adjust the rationality of children to fit into the crazy shit that we have called culture. Man, wouldn't that be fantastic if we weren't just trying to change that natural beauty of a child's mind into the warped, cloud-based, fantasy, hostility, acid rain bullshit that is social pathology. My God, that would be fantastic. And uh, children have so much to teach us because they are so elementally uninjured and uh, unconstrained and... uh, I'm learning an enormous, enormous amount uh, from my daughter. And most of it is pleasurable. Some of it is very sad uh, when I think about how smashed up I got as a child. But it is a beautiful thing to see. And we really could leap forward a thousand years in a generation if we learn from children rather than try to inflict our own craziness on them. Oh, yeah, I
3: completely agree. I mean, I... I have this niece that is, um, that is five year old, five, five years old. And, you know, I had, I had a close bond with her and it was just made me cry. Just seeing how, how, just how curious she was, I mean, just It was a wonderful, It's it a wonderful experience interacting with her. And, uh, and, sh- and she was, she kind of inspired me to, to leave my family.
0: Right. Well, so I, I think it's, it's like, worth meditating on that dream, uh, and I think it's worth uh, uh, just having respect for all of the original knowledge that we had to hide, that we had to bury. You know, in uh, I'm sure that most of you know this, but under uh, communist Russia, uh, up until Glasnost, under uh, um, uh, the last Soviet uh, leader, Gorbachev, there was dissident literature. Some of it was Ayn Rand's and some of it was Solzhenitsyn's and some of it was other uh, more modern. Some of it was even Maxim Gorky and other, the older writers, who was critical of, of bureaucracy and uh, socialism. But um, they, they all circulated in sort of badly photocopied, bound together by rubber bands, uh, pieces of, of literature called Samizdat. I'm not sure if that pronunciation is great. I've only read it. And if I get one more person telling me I've mispronounced the word Keynes, <laughs> I will be keen on not doing another show on Keynes. Anyway, um, and that was the way that dissident literature survived throughout Russia. It was all smuggled and passed around, handed in brown bags and so on. It was the brain porn of the communist era. And I really do believe that the true self does survive even in tyrannical environments. Uh, as children that, that we may face, it does survive it does survive. Uh, The dissident literature of the true self is handed around in the ecosystem deep down in the bowels of the brain and can survive and can come back and is always clamoring like a man trapped under ice is beating its fists against the ice to get back through to the crystal clear air. It's something that we are continually trying to get back to and continually trying to bite and scrape and fight and love our way back through to the air. So even if we are driven underground as children, we are not driven underground to die. We are not driven underground like a corpse dropped in a hole. We are driven underground like a guilty and unacceptable thought to gather strength for a re with reason in the future. That's my thought about it anyway. Well, listen. I'm going to move on to another caller, but to thank you so much for bringing that up. I think it's a very powerful thing to think about, and I really would recommend for people to sit and listen about, um, listen to early dreams, think about the first things that you thought about uh, in your history and your very earliest perceptions of the world. I think is very, very important to figure out where some of your core beliefs may be coming from. Right. So, thank you so much for bringing that up.
3: Okay, you're welcome. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. All right. We have uh, another call. Do we have another caller? Hi, Steph. Hello.
2: Hi. Um, My name's Chris. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. I Um, wish we had a cool sound for you. (laughs) Okay, go on. Thanks. But basically, I just wanted to call and say thank you for absolutely everything you're doing here. Um. Yeah, I was recently accepted into a master's program for marriage and family therapy, and I <laughs> contribute Yay. a bit of that to you.
0: Well, I really appreciate <laughs> that, and trust me, if you're here to praise, you can have the rest of the show. I'm just going to lie here and eat some bonbons and scratch myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you deserve them, sir, definitely. <laughs> so tell me, how but, did you first start listening to the show, and, and what's your experience been? I really appreciate that feedback.
2: Um, I honestly can't remember how I first found the show. I, I've been... Listening on and off for, I think, the past, I don't know, five or so years, um, only, you know, getting into it more uh, in-depth recently, I guess. But, you know, I I have a – well, I I work in a cubicle, so I I get to listen to the podcast all day at work, which is spectacular. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you have definitely just taught me to be more, uh, well, logically consistent and, you know, helped iron out – well my own thoughts on a lot of the topics you you discuss on the show
0: well i'm i'm completely thrilled so thank you uh, so much for the feedback and did it did the show or did your sort of exploration of philosophy did it change you more towards going to counseling or was that the direction you were heading in already uh,
2: i i was kind of already heading that direction i, I went to uh, i i graduated from college 2 years ago and you know i went for a i i went for a psych major i you know i was going to into some kind of therapy um but i think you definitely contributed toward the marriage and family therapy direction i mean i you know I, I talked to a few mfts before that um but i think just uh applying this philosophy into my own life you know that pretty pretty much um the non aggression principle you know everybody is free to you know associate with who with whom they want um you know i i feel like that's a message that just needs to you know get out into the public and you know i think being a marriage and family therapist would be the best way to go about doing that
0: oh i i think it's a it's a, it's a very challenging way to do it for sure um i mean this is not me quoting this is saying, you know, dr phil who you know although he's <laughs> religiously nutty, i think does have some useful stuff to say uh, he's continually talking about how, you know, parents bring in their kids and say, fix the kid, you know, the problem with mm-hmm. the kid. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Um, he's always saying, no, 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 right? It's <laughs> not the kid. Right. You're the parent. You don't get to blame the kid if you're the parent. Right. I mean, that's like the dog yeah. owner blaming the dog, so to speak. Right. I mean, it's just it's silly, but that's a natural reaction for some people. And uh, so it's a challenge from that standpoint, getting the parents to to accept responsibility in those situations. But uh, I think it's a fantastic thing to do and I mean I think you will retire in your dotage uh, very satisfied with a life well lived that you've done uh, a great deal of good in the world so I think that's fantastic congratulations and um, yeah thank it, you if thank you do end up sorry if you do end up um, uh, setting up a private practice or someplace where you can take patients and you want to uh, to to advertise not even advertise but just post uh, any kind of information uh, on the website uh, please uh, let me mm-hmm. know I'd be very happy to um, I think, you know, I think that there would be, I've, I've sort of had requests to, you know, create a network of therapists who understand philosophy. Mm-hmm. Like, let me just snap my fingers for <laughs> my little room and do that. But uh, I know that some people have um, asked for that. And if you were to set up a private practice, I'm sure that people who wanted to talk to a therapist would and who, who were into this sort of rational philosophy would uh, be very happy to chat with you. So I'd be happy to help out if I could.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That, that'd be great. I mean, you know, it's a two year program, so I'll I'll be in school for the next two years. Then who knows how long after that until I can actually, well, right, right. When, when when I would feel like I'd be able to set up a private practice. But I mean, any help I can get would definitely be appreciated. But yeah, absolutely. And again, just thank you so much for everything. Um, but like I said, I, I was already on the track to be, a, you know, some sort of counselor before this, but just kind of, uh, through counseling of my own and through applying your, your philosophy to my life. I, I recently um, defooed with my family recently also. Um, oh, I'm so sorry to hear back, that. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. And I, you know, it, it was a rough situation, but I mean, I think what helped me the most was just realizing that I wasn't happy. I mean, pre- previously, you know, I, I I've struggled with, you know, various well depression in various forms in the past. Um, but since I guess since realizing that I, I just have the option to defu, I mean, that was definitely a large step forward in my situation, at least.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's choice, right? I mean, uh, all, all that which is considered absolute and automatic is not a place where life can really flourish, I think. And mm-hmm. um, to have a choice where no choice is deemed possible is something that... Um, uh, is I, I don't think you can really be in a relationship if you just have to be in a relationship and it's not chosen i don 't think that you can really be there in any meaningful way unless you're choosing mm-hmm. to be there and uh, right uh, and I sort of say this around adults i mean obviously my daughter can't exactly choose to to, <laughs> to switch switch daddies or whatever at least not yet so uh, I, I think that's a little bit different, but when we become adults I, I really do think that we need to to review our relationships and say, you know, what's in it for me? Uh, What am I getting out of it? What am I contributing to it? How honest and authentic can I be in this situation? And, you know, make choices. And people can make choices to stay. And people can make choices to take a break or, you know, get therapy, which is always my recommendation. But, man, alive, you can't, I think, be in a relationship if it just has to be that way and it's never a choice. And there's no – because then there's no capacity for – self-reflection for for there's not much of a capacity for honesty and there's really not much capacity for negotiation so anyway sorry I didn't mean to sort of go off on my own ramble uh, when you would talk your <laughs> stuff but I just oh d- 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 definitely no definitely no problem I, you know I, I'm, I'm used
2: to your ramblings believe me <laughs> guess but, <laughs> but yeah and you know that's uh, obviously I, I did everything I could to you know prevent the uh, Well, having to deal with the family, you know, I did, did what I could to resolve the issues. I, I went to therapy with my mother a few times also. But, I mean, uh, that's that's really what all of her arguments came back to, just that, you know, family is family. And and no matter how, how hard I tried to, well, ex- explain that that just doesn't make any sense, I mean, she just wouldn't get it.
0: And what was it that she wouldn't get?
2: Well, I, I mean, just that... Well, you know, like her her argument was that, like I said, family is family. Therefore, that comes with these obligations. You have to do that. People just don't dis- choose to disassociate with their families. And I mean, as much as I tried to, you know, I- explain that, I mean, no, I really don't have to do these things. I'm I'm an adult. I have I have you know fr- freedom to associate with with whom I want to associate. But then it it all it all just came back to her and like how um just like how um what her desire well basically that that her desires were more important than my desires
0: mm-hmm. right right
2: and yeah i mean it, it was absolutely tragic but i mean since it's been gosh we we had the uh, our, our last conversation um it was actually christmas day you know, she and my brother had, well, showed up at my house in sort of kind of a standard intervention type uh, situation, I guess. And, you know, that's just where, where I guess you could say that the, the shit hit the fan, I suppose. But, um, I mean, since then, I mean, I've been spectacularly more happy and just more grounded in myself. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I And I've got a lot of thoughts going through my head and I want to make sure I keep listening. And so if you want to keep talking, I will put those thoughts aside and continue to listen. But if you wanted to take a pause, I could uh, share some of what I'm thinking. Oh, no, please go ahead. I mean, this is not, uh, you know, the, the concept that, that I talk about, no unchosen positive obligations. And uh, you need to be honest in your relationships and honest about yourself, uh, about the nature of your relationships. Um, this is, this is not new. Uh, of course, every time that it moves forward in society, there's a lot of turmoil, right? There's some people who get left behind, which I think is truly tragic. Um, but the, the extension of choice and voluntarism within society, it always comes at a, at a very large social cost for some and for others, it's a large reward, right? And the last uh, big thing that happened was, uh, uh, of course, that was, I think, similar to what you and I are talking about here, uh, was, was feminism, right? Which was uh, women kind of had to get married, and they kind of had to stay married. And it really wasn't a choice. And it wasn't a choice mm-hmm. because they couldn't really get any education. They couldn't really get a job. And you might have a job for a couple of years after you went to go and get your MRS degree, and you'd work a little bit, and then you'd, you'd get, have kids and whatever, right? But, but marriage wasn't really a choice for uh, for women being married and staying married and the stigma associated with divorce was so huge that women you know stuck it out with some pretty grim situations or very grim situations and of course then when feminists came along and said no no wait i mean (laughs) this is not right you can't have a good marriage if you just have to be married if it's kind of arranged by culture and economic necessity you can't have a really great marriage unless you're choosing to be there. And they also said, feminists said, and I think quite rightly so, they said, and abuse is a deal breaker in a relationship. Abuse is a deal breaker in a relationship. I don't know how many times I heard that in various forms growing up. I mean, this is what's so funny about some of the controversy and tragic comic about some of the controversy about this concept of of, um, voluntary family relations, is that all I'm doing is saying to society, hey, I got it. You know, I heard what you told me six million times when I was growing up. You know, like in health class and every after school movie and every uh, lecture that you would get about gender relations, it would always be abuse is a deal breaker in a relationship. You do not uh, stay in relationships where there is abuse. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, I'm like, okay, I got it, (laughs) right? So they didn't just say, Unless it's, nobody ever said to me, unless it's your family. Nobody ever said that to me. It was like, abuse is a deal breaker in every relationship. So I'm like, okay. (laughs) And it took me a a long (laughs) while to get it. Um, But uh, of course, when feminism came along and said to women, abuse is a deal breaker, you don't have to stay married. uh, Some women looked at their husbands and said, <laughs> you know, not so much, right? And, you know, they tried to work it out or whatever, but if it didn't change or whatever. And then, of course, lots of husbands said, uh, those damn feminists, they broke up my marriage. You know, I hate feminism. <laughs> and in a way, you can kind of understand that, right? I mean, because marriage had worked a certain way for thousands of years, where men could kind of do what they wanted and women didn't really have any choices. And so some men who maybe were cruel or mean or whatever, they kind of ran their marriages like the women could never leave. You know, like, like public sector workers, they kind of run their careers like they can never get fired. They're kind of right. But then when someone comes along and says, we are now going to talk about choice in a relationship that formerly was never considered to be fundamentally chosen people, like a lot of husbands, kind of freaked out. They kind of hated it, right? Because they had to really evolve or lose, and they really didn't like that particular choice. And so they, they got mad at the people who came along and said, abuse is a deal breaker, and voluntary relationships are the way to go. And you, you can kind of understand why, but at the same time, it's like, come on, we have to evolve. I mean, we have to move forward. We can't uh, hang back and let people get pounded on and yelled at and abused and put down and ignored and neglected. We can't just let that happen because to remind people of voluntarism makes people who've not treated them well feel bad. I mean, that's that's like canvassing all of the, I mean, to use an extreme metaphor, right? That's like canvassing all of the people who trade and buy and sell slaves about whether slavery should be abolished. And they'd say, no, I've got all my investment in these manacles, <laughs> right? I've got all my investments in these whips and these ships with all the, you know, the chains in the, in the galleys and so on, right? And they'd say, well, no, it's going to be a huge amount of suffering for me uh, if if we evolve. And that's true of every evolution in human nature. I mean, it's always struck me that, you know, people who get mad at the concept of voluntary family relations Um, I mean, a lot of them are libertarians. I mean, how do they think public sector workers in, say, the postal union, of which 40% are ex-military, how do they think these people are going to react if, you know, Ron Paul gets his way and they privatize the post office? I mean, you're going to get a horse's head in your bed. These people are going to freak out because you're bringing volunteers into a formally involuntary relationship. And so, But but do we then say, well, we don't want to upset the union workers, so let's not do it. I mean, we still have to move forward as a species. That's the goal. That's the point. That's why we get up in the morning, at least those of us who want that that life. We have to move forward. We have to extend voluntarism, the non-aggression principle, and peace, and virtue, and love. We have to extend those things. Uh, because otherwise, you know, if the candle's not being lit, the candle is going out. And we've seen in the 20th century what happens when it really goes out. So... Although it does upset people, and I'm sure it's upset your parents, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. I mean, it's not, it's not my fault, and I don't think fundamentally it's your fault, since you're not the mm-hmm. parent. But we do have to move forward uh, in terms of virtue, and we hope, we hope that as many people will change and evolve and come along as possible. But we can't really control that. Anyway, sorry for the long speech. I just wanted to sort of share what I was thinking about while you were talking.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I mean, a, a little more background for me. I mean, I, I was I was raised Catholic, and so that comes with all the uh, the trappings that come with that. Um, you know, m- mainly just being controlled through you know guilt and shame, which led to a great great degree of self attack. Which you know, I suppose I suppose you know is what they're really aiming for. You know, if they follow police myself and that's uh well problem solved there but I mean once I you know uh, through through my own therapy once I, I realized I was you know attacking myself for pretty much everything then once I you know managed to rein that in and then I you know I essentially just, just took a step back from the situation like and I would realize oh my mom's doing that again and so then I well once I knew what she was doing that just removed her power from the situation and then that I mean it was essentially all downhill from there unfortunately but yeah I mean I absolutely agree with everything you're saying about that I mean if (laughs) clearly you know the family is going to be upset when I choose to you know disassociate from them but I mean that's just what (laughs) we have to do if it's not a healthy relationship and it can't be repaired then I mean
0: ending it is the only option well, I mean, people stay. Lots of people do stay, right? And right, lots of, right. I, I'm sure some people go back. And that's, you know, hey, I mean, the whole point of voluntarism is you can choose to go back to be involuntary if you want. I mean, in a sense, you can be freed from slavery and you can go sell yourself back into slavery if you want. But at least you've made that choice, you know, born into it, right?
2: Hmm. Right, right. And and again, you know, I absolutely thank you for I, for revealing that choice to me.
0: Right. I mean, as it was revealed to me as well. I, I read a book called "Divorcing Your Parents" many, many years ago. The concept is not new. Um, and and I'm I'm curious, and you don't have to share any of this, of course, right? But I'm just curious if if you wouldn't mind. Um, okay. What was your uh, therapist's perception of this uh, of this process for you?
2: Um. She was. She was supportive of it, kind of. Um, I mean, she, she she was also a marriage and family therapist. And so, I mean, I can understand where she was coming from in that, you know, it, it is tragic when family, family relations do break down. And so I, I think she would have preferred I had not done it. But she understood that, um, you know, my happiness was essentially con- contingent on ending the relationship
0: i'm sorry just to make sure i understand um when she said oh sorry when when you said that she would have been happy if you had not done it did she mean if the family relations could have been um right right at least brought into the direction of repair
2: yeah that that, that's what i meant i mean she, she definitely would have preferred that the family family relationship could have been repaired but given that it seemed like it wouldn't be possible, then, I mean, you know, she did, she absolutely supported the, uh, well, this option.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's definitely a truism. I mean, I think uh, it is, um, it is, I mean, wouldn't we all love for everyone to have ha- a happy marriage? I mean, but, but some marriages don't work out. So yeah, that's very interesting. And you, so you were saying that it was, uh, it was Christmas and it's, uh, I guess it's been a, a couple of months uh, uh, now. Mm
2: hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, the uh, the only contact I've I've had from my mom came from, uh, well, she sent me an email like the day following where she essentially said, you know, um, at at least your brother and I have, you know, like my grandparents and uh, or, yeah, by, by, yeah, my at least my brother and her have, you know, like the other relations and, you know, like, grandparents cousins aunts uncles and whatever but now i have nobody which i mean that's (laughs) uh clearly not true um i i don't have a family in quotes there but um i mean that's essentially just another example of just kind of the passive aggressive abuse that was going on there that i mean that's clearly an attack on me and And it's almost like it's almost like a curse Yep. Now right. you have
0: nobody.
2: Right, and so I mean, it's it's clearly an attack. And you know, like previously, back in the day before I had my own therapy, then I mean, I would start attacking myself for that. And I mean, then I would just conform to what she would expect. Right. And so I mean, now that I, I'm I'm free of that cycle, I mean, <laughs> I I don't mean to laugh, but I I mean, she just doesn't know what to do.
0: Right. Right, and I mean, wouldn't it be great? I mean, this is this is my fantasy, and it may maybe just—I don't—I don't know if it's a total fantasy. Uh, it may be with my family, but but my fantasy is that people would, um, you know, would be uh, uh, people would try their strategies to sort of keep me in, in the family structure, and the family structure in my family was not beneficial to me. I'm not saying it was never beneficial. There was never any use or never any positivity. There was, but uh, overall it was claustrophobic to me. Uh, and, um, uh, I could not, uh, grow in that. I had to keep the things that I was really passionate about away from my family because they would sort of be mocked and scorned and put down and all that. So I just, I couldn't become in a sense, I mean, this may sound weird, but I, I couldn't become the great soul that I felt was striving to get out of me, uh, in that mm-hmm. because, uh, um, and I read, ah, there was, um, a, a black guy wrote a book. Uh, he's a, um, uh, He's a radio personality in New York. It's not Thomas Sowell. It's some some other guy. And I read it uh, about a year, a year and a half ago. And he said something quite profound. He said, I I wanted to be greater than I was, uh, or greater than I was when I grew up. And if people could accept my ambition and support me, then there was lots of room for them in my life. And if they couldn't, there was no room for them in my life because... Mm-hmm. I had to grow. I had to reach out. I had to reach, in a sense, for the stars. And people were either along for the ride or they were opposing me, and I, you know, I had to choose about the people I I kept in my life once I had that kind of ambition, and that certainly was the case for me. Like I wrote lots of books, and you know, nobody in my family uh, ever read them, uh, and uh, and all that. So. I couldn't sustain that belief that I could do great things in the face of those who ca- claim to care the most for me, who were completely indifferent or even hostile to what it is that I was doing. And I kind of had to make a choice. And my choice was either I stay in this little box of other people's preconceived notions and live out a small life, because otherwise I might make other people uncomfortable, or I break out, I break free, I take, to take flight, and there will be some people who it will upset. But fundamentally, and in the end, I'm the one who has to take responsibility for my own life and my own happiness. And I have to take responsibility for exercising the skills and abilities that I possess. And if it makes other people uncomfortable for me to speak the truths, reasoned out from first principles, or for me to have great ambitions uh, to, to help the world, I'm sorry that it makes other people uncomfortable, but I can't, I can't, 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 piss on the flames of my own ambition, because it hurts other people's eyes. I mean, that's just not, uh, it's not something that I could do with good conscience. And if I had done that, I'm absolutely positive that I would be just depressed as as a pile of horseshit right now. (laughs) Frankly, I'd just be, it would be wretched. uh, And uh, uh, I would be no good to myself or anybody else. So um, I can certainly understand that need to, to outgrow these preconceptions and to be um, sort of as deep and as rich as, as it sounds like you're, you're heading towards or perhaps already are. Uh, and uh, I, so I, I really do sympathize with that transition. And the hope, my hope was that there would be this storm and stress, you know, where, where I'd try and fix things, I'd try and fix things, I'd try and fix things, I'd be in therapy, I'd try and fix things. And then I'd say, oh, you know what, I can't fix this. I can't fix this uh, because I can't do this uh, on my own. I mean, I, I can't fix a relationship on my own. That's the great fantasy, right? And it arises out of both insecurity and kind of megalomania, right? That you can fix things uh, in a relationship all on your own. You can't. But it was sort of my fantasy that that my family would be like, okay. Um, so clearly, you know, we, we try to not change and hope that Steph would reconform back to the way things were, right? And that's, you know, that's a dice that people roll they you know they they make that they take that risk you know they say well if we just keep opposing him he'll go back into where he was before and everything will be fine um but then when i did say look i i need to take a break and and i'm i you know i can't uh, i can't do this anymore i thought okay so they'll be time where it'll be and then because I've been told my whole life that family is everything, you know And, and family and you know, blood is thicker than water and the bonds that can't be broken and so on I kind of thought and it wasn't like it was a strategy on my part But I did kind of think that people would say wow. I did not realize he was that unhappy mm-hmm. I did not realize he was that unhappy, but since family is everything clearly we are going to need to change and that people would sort of come back and say okay, so you know, we thought that uh, it wasn't that serious for you, um, but clearly it is. So let's reopen our conversation. Uh, that didn't happen with me uh, at all. I, I mean, I hope it happens with you. I hope that your family um, sits there and says, wow, you know, this this really is a big deal for him. Uh, it is very, very important to him. And so we're going to need to adapt because... Family is everything and blood is thick in the water and blood should be thicker than gods and ideologies and politics and culture. Blood should be, I think, uh, the most solid and strong bond of all. But I hope, uh, I hope, I don't think it's ever going to happen with my family. In fact, I'm sure it won't. But I hope that with your family, they do get that it is very important to you uh, to be self-expressed in the relationship and to be respected for who you are and that they do try and find some way to turn it around.
2: Mhm yeah i mean it it would be wonderful if you know it could turn around it it doesn't seem like it will um when when they came over on christmas um i mean I, after everything we had discussed you know i had done my best to rtr with them previously and you know going to therapy with with my mom and things like that but after all of that and i mean it, it had been going on for several months prior to that um after all of that when, when they came over on christmas um Basically, it was all it was all my problem that they asked, oh, do you need a new therapist? Do you need medication, et cetera, et cetera. And they just couldn't realize that. I mean, it's it's not a problem with a specific person necessarily, but with the interactions between the people. And and I mean, yeah, if maybe someday we can reopen this discussion, then that would be great. Um, You know, my my mom asked, oh, so if if I, if I go see a therapist, will will you go come with me? And I told her, yes. But, you know, over the past four months, there has been no contact regarding that.
0: Mm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, empirically, the odds are not great. Uh, It is a, you know, it is a hope to, it is a hope to have for a while, but uh, every day that passes, the the odds diminish. You know this is. I mean, this is what. You know, I mean, I I have a, a completely wonderful uh, marriage, and I I'm I'm the dad that I want to be. You know, <laughs> always wanted to be. It doesn't mean that I'm a perfect dad, and I'm certainly not going to be as good a parent as Isabella is going to be, uh, in time. But if this is what I I have such a tough time understanding when it comes to these kinds of situations. I mean, I genuinely have stayed up nights trying to figure this one out, and I've only had some luck. But if my, if my wife, you know, came to me one day and said, you know, I'm, uh, I'm so unhappy that I'm thinking of, of leaving you. I mean, I, I, I would literally try to move heaven and earth to figure out what went wrong, why things went wrong, how I could fix it, how I could make things better. I mean, she, I told her this the other day when I was thinking about it, that if you tried to leave, it would be tough with me hanging on, sobbing to your ankle, <laughs> you know, clinging to you like a baby chimpanzee or something, you know? And, and it would be tough to drive off with me hanging onto the windshield wipers <laughs> of the car going back and forth like a song I'm singing, singing to my daughter. You know, the wipers, the husband on the wiper goes swish, 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 right? I mean, I, I would... I would do anything. I would do, you know, she's oh you gotta go to therapy. I'm there. You, I'm, I'm there. I'm making the call right now. You know, what whatever mm-hmm. it was that needed to be done to repair the relationship with with people that I really love, I would do. I I, I mean I would just do it. Because to me that's what that's what love is. I mean, I, I, I trust my wife enough that if she said there was a significant issue that needed to be fixed, I would just try to fix it. I mean, I'm not gonna fight her on it. I mean, that's that's just that's just what the way it is, right? And that's what I I really I really can't figure that out. I don't know if it's if it's pride or indifference or coldness or what, but it's like how how can you let a day go by with a child who's found like an adult kid who's found family life so unacceptable, how can you let a day go by without moving heaven and earth to fill to, to fill right. the hole and fix the problem?
2: Yeah, and, and instead we just get the sort of the whole, oh, how dare you even consider that?
0: Yeah, I mean, talk about gasoline on a fire, right? I mean, of all the things you wouldn't want to do, right? I mean... <laughs> You know, when when I was talking about things with my family, I mean, I'd always get back, oh, you're just playing the victim. You know, and to me, it's like, what? So I'm saying that I have a significant problem with respect and support within this family, and I get back that I'm manipulative and playing the victim. I mean, does that not just exactly confirm the thesis that I'm putting forward? And I tried to sort of point that out. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter. The story would just change, right? And so after a while, it's like, you know what? I I kind of am playing the victim. I kind of am. Because I keep trying to fix a relationship where I'm the only one who's trying to fix the relationship, and the other person, the other people, uh, just um, putting more scorn on, right? So I kind of am playing the victim, so I'm going to stop. Right, yeah.
2: So, yeah, anyway, thank you so much for everything. I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, I just thought I would throw that out there that... Uh, well, to everyone here, Steph's philosophy is great to get into a therapy school. So, have <laughs> fun with
0: that. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and and I'm I'm again I I know I know what a difficult thing it is to go through. Uh, I'm glad your therapist was supportive. I really do sympathize with uh, with what you went through. Um, I, you know, every passing day makes the odds less likely, in my opinion. So, I hope it's sooner rather than later, because I think later is more or less impossible at least that's been what i've observed and experienced mm-hmm. so i hope that there's some turnaround um and i'm mm-hmm. so sorry that uh, that this is what it came to but um uh you you got to be honest in your relationships i think if you if they're going to be real relationships and if that's not possible i mean i i think that uh, you've done the right thing for yourself and i hope that it turns around but if it doesn't um congratulations
2: uh, yeah thank you thank you all right
0: was there anything else you want to talk about kind of go to another call uh yeah that, that's about it so i will pass the torch i guess all right if you uh if you get a chance and you wanted to post on the board about how things are going for you in uh, grad school i would certainly be very curious or just drop me a line if you can uh, every now and then to let me know how things are going i would really like to uh to okay. know.
2: yeah yeah definitely i'll be starting up uh fall semester next year so uh excited for that
0: congratulations man Yeah, thank you. All the best. Bye. Bye. All right. Uh, Do we have caller number two? I just wanted to mention, if you haven't seen it, um, I did, a, uh, at least to me, a very interesting interview with uh, Dr. John Omaha, who I believe the state is named after. Uh, No, sorry, it's the insurance company. And uh, he is, um, I think, a very good writer, and has some uh, uh, some fantastic and powerful ideas about uh, taking uh, psychological diagnoses and applying it to the American character or the American nation. And I hope that you will uh, you will check that out. The um, uh, you can go to uh, the uh, FDR podcast feed, and it is shows sixteen twenty three PDSD Nation, Doctor John Omaha interviewed on Freedom Main Radio. It's also available in my YouTube channel, and I hope that you will, uh, you will check it out. It's, uh, he was a very uh, gracious and eloquent host, and uh, he, um, uh, he had a good reminder for me to talk slower, which is something that I should always try to remember, and uh, so I really did, uh, do appreciate his time and uh, appreciated his wisdom. Uh, somebody has asked, um, I was wondering, what is it a therapist provides that can't be done on your own? What skills are they offering? I have some intellectual answers to that, but I was wondering if I could get an experienced response. Well, you can get an, (laughs) I guess, a somewhat experienced amateur response. Uh, A a therapist is, um, and there's many schools, right? I'll just talk about my my experience in therapy. I am, you know, I must say that until until I went to therapy, I did not actually know what it was like, what it felt like, what the experience was of having somebody really interested in who I was and what I thought and what I experienced before. I had no real experience with that. It's not like my teachers were or my priests were or my family was or my friends to some degree, but... uh, I, I did not experience what it was like to have somebody really, really curious about and interested in me before, this is tragic, before I was in my mid-30s and in therapy. And that is a pretty unique experience. That changed what knowledge of another meant to me. That changed what intimacy meant for me. And um, I drunk deep from that still water for, uh, well, years, in fact. I think that's, that's really important. Uh, I think that's really a, really an important experience in therapy, to have somebody really focused on, on you. And after you've gone through that experience with a great therapist, or even a good therapist, after you've gone through that experience where somebody's really focused on you, it helped me to take myself more seriously when somebody else took me more seriously, or took me seriously. Uh, and that, uh, that was a, a not-to-be-returned gift that I got out of therapy. The other thing that I've mentioned before, which I'll just touch on briefly here, is that uh, it's my belief that uh, most of what occurs that is tragic in human life occurs fundamentally out of a feeling of, of isolation, of solitariness, of, of being uninteresting to other people, of emptying out yourself, because you no longer have depth and uh, uh, power as a a human being. And I believe that, I mean, this arises out of trauma and isolation. And as Dr. Omaha said in our interview, uh, it is, uh, in fact, neglect is worse for children than abuse, uh, which is why children act out in order to get abused, rather than experience neglect and end the dream that the first caller talked about he was not being abused, he was being abandoned, and that is more terrifying. Uh, Neglect is more damaging to children than abuse. And so uh, problems in self-knowledge, problems in self-relating, problems in impulse management, problems with addictions, problems with uh, intimacy, if these arise out of solitude, and abuse is the wall that goes around us if we've experienced it, If these things arise, if these problems arise out of solitude, I don't think they can be solved in solitude because that's more of the same. I think you need something that is different, something that is the opposite of what you have experienced before. And therapy is designed, in my opinion, therapy is really fundamentally designed to be the opposite of what came before. Whatever happened that caused these problems, therapy is supposed to be the opposite. It's the antidote, right? It's supposed to be the opposite. And uh, I don't think that you can provide that to yourself on your own, if that makes anything. Uh, somebody said, I want to know why a lot of things, but my therapist says why doesn't matter. It kind of matters to me, else I wouldn't be asking. But I think uh, my suggestion is always to be as honest with your the therapist as possible and say, it upsets me when you say this, and here's why I think, and what do you think, and you just do that relentless. I mean, the therapy office is a fantastic place to practice RTR, because the therapist, I think, should be, uh, should be good at that, uh, at least accepting that uh, honesty from, from a, a client.
1: I was just wondering if was all right if I added like my experience so far in therapy if that makes Oh, help. I
0: think that'd be great.
1: Sure. Um, well, I mean, if if this if this matters to anybody, I mean if if they find it helpful, then great. But, you know, I struggled for a long time like with the whole concept of therapy if that makes sense, like and there there are lots of reasons around that, but when I finally finally like got to taking it seriously, if that's a fair way to put it. Um, or, you know, I finally got the upper hand with, with the ecosystem, you know, with, with help from Steph, cause you know, the, the critic was like a huge hurdle for that. Um, and I did get, and I've got a really good relationship with the therapist right now. There are things that I just never would have done. Like, um, like the things I couldn't do on my own, like to 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 ex, to experience and integrate a trauma that just wasn't available to my consciousness, just as an example. It, I I just I think that's impossible to do outside of therapy. I just don't think you can do it. I mean, I certainly never did it like spontaneously, and I think it might be tricky if if it's even possible to do it, like outside of therapy, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, at least my experience has been, you know, the things that, kind of of like the, you know, things that are inflicted or, you know, problems that come about from isolation can't be resolved in isolation. Well, part of the reason is because the experience can be overwhelming or, um, you know, you're just not even aware or, you know, conscious that it's going on and have that, have the outside party who is interested in what's going on for you um, is valuable. It's crucial, I think, to actually dealing with these things.
0: Right. I mean, there is a, a portrayal of, of, of children in our culture as the, the, they're cute, right? That they're, they're little, they're cute. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's kind of unfair, to the depth of children and we, we experienced this like quite a lot I mean how many times I, I can remember like the hand and the, and the fingers of one hand the number of times when I was a kid that somebody actually asked me about my thoughts and feelings it's hard to take yourself seriously if you've never really been listened to
1: and also um, withdrawing projections I mean that's something that's really difficult to do on your own as well um mm. and i think that's I, mean, I think that's an effect in a lot of ways more than uh, something you actually like you're trying to retract it like with a fishing reel or something like that i, I at least in my experience it's been um it's been like I, I have i have a breakthrough or something in therapy and then the projection sort of withdraws because i realize something true about myself as opposed to something about the universe, right?
0: Right. Yeah, and I, sorry to interrupt, but I was I was also going to mention this at the beginning, but I, I forgot. So I'm glad that it's sort of, you, you brought that up. People want to dive into political debates a lot, right? They really want to dive into political debates or debates about abstract philosophy and so on. But I think that if there's one thing that we've gotten out over the years and also with the recent interviews in the Bomb of the Brain series, we're just... We're just yelling scar tissue at each other, for the most part. I mean, not, I think people who've you know, gone into self-knowledge, figured these things out, they're they're much better. I think mean, most of us who are more advanced in this area. But most people that you're talking to, if they have not recognized the value of self-knowledge, and you don't have to have come from a difficult or bad family to have this problem, because the culture is diluted as a whole. I mean... The, the culture is diluted as a whole, because the culture is so fundamentally anti-reason that what is called normal is not going to be called normal in the future. And so people say, well, I get this objection to to anarchy, or I get this objection to uh, freedom, or this objection to the free market, or this objection to UPB or whatever. I mean, the first the first question I'm sort of asking myself these days when I see a lot of, you know, a violent objection to to something that's going on here, is why, why does the person care? Why, why does the person even care? Why is it important to them, right? So, somebody who's posting can say, Oh, I was having a conversation with my brother, and my brother says, you. He was emphatically, you cannot be 100% certain about anything. Well, we've seen that the science shows that ideology follows trauma. And so, my question would be, What trauma does certainty? provoke or reawaken in in this person and you know if I had to guess it would be that they had an absolutist caregiver who said it's it's my way or the highway it's this way or nothing and then when they see somebody who comes along who's certain about ethics or certain about voluntarism or whatever that it it evokes that and they have to kind of shut that down but they're just just, it's self-management ideology is the self-medication for trauma and so, this, this if somebody's going to be honest about why something even matters to them, right? I, I you know, if, if somebody can say, you know, when you bring up this certainty, I feel really anxious and upset. And I think it's because, you know, when I was a kid, blah, 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 the priest was 150% certain that I was going to burn in hellfire. So, certainty makes me feel really anxious. Well, that's somebody who's got, I think, um, at least a bronze medal in self-knowledge. And that's fantastic. I think that's that's great. That's mature. That's wonderful. And that's the beginning, hopefully, of a real friendship where you can actually explore truth without beating each other over the head with ideology. And you can see this all the time in Internet forums, right? People just beating each other up with ideology. You can see this all the time in YouTube comments and so on, right? People just coming up with, you know, like there's a couple of things, of course, that are just designed to be annoying. You know, when somebody says, um, you know this, right? You know, it's this way, not that. Um, You know, that um, it's just, it's annoying, and people do lots of different things like that, um, you know, the angry laugh out loud uh, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, right? These are people who just, what you're saying is really bothering them, but they don't know why, so they're just reacting. And they don't even know that it's bothering them. The challenge, of course, comes when when you someone says to you, you can't ever be certain of anything, and they're really upset. And you say, I wonder why you're so upset about this. And then they say, oh, you're just trying to change the subject. Or don't try and psychoanalyze me. We're here to talk about this philosophical issue. You know, stop doing this weird stuff uh, about my, you know, that's, but but then all they're saying is I can't talk rationally about this. And so for me, it's like, well, I'm sorry, that goes into the pile. And it's a very large pile called life's too short. I'm not going to waste my time battling scar tissue with someone. And in a sense, helping them manage their early trauma in a way that only maintains and exacerbates that problem. I mean, that's enabling. You're debating with somebody who's not rational. is like giving a drink to a drunk. You're just enabling self-destructive behavior, and I, I choose not to do that. Uh, somebody's asked, does it ever work that way? Does anyone ever actually get the mature emotional response before the ideological intellectual conclusions? Um, I, I do occasionally get, I, do, I will occasionally get that. Uh, sometimes it can take a little while. Uh, you know, when people are when their fight or flight is activated, then they're not particularly open to reason, right? The amygdala swamps the frontal cortex. But um, sometimes it will happen. And I mean, what was it about six months ago? I think I had a conversation with a guy who trawled FDR pretty pretty hard, uh, and I was happy to have that conversation with him. He thought about it. I've had emails from people who were like, "Oh man, I you know, I, I hated your stuff. You know, I thought about it, and it turns out you were right," and and so on. So people. Can, uh, can turn around, they can think about things, or maybe they just have to go through enough difficult stuff in their life before recognizing that reason and self-knowledge is the way to go. It does happen. Uh, it's nothing you want to hold your breath for, and it is a, a very small minority of people, but um, uh, it does happen. Uh, and so uh, it, just, it, it, it almost never happens in the moment unless somebody has a good degree of self-knowledge. It almost never happens uh, in the moment. Or the other one um, <laughs> another one that's really good is uh, people who will post uh, comments on videos or write to me and say, you know, your reasoning is so bad, I'm embarrassed for you in this video. It's just ridiculous, right? And I'm like, oh, well, perhaps you'd like to tell me where my reasoning problems are, right? Um, and then they're like, well, you know, if you if you can't figure it out, I'm not going to bother telling you, right? And, of course, all that is is an invitation to a self-attack ball. I just don't show up, right? I don't go to that ball anymore, right? So, um and this is another thing that you will get—you uh, will get a lot of, um, or, or people who willfully misunderstand what it is that you're saying, and then will, they're inviting you to come in and fight about it. Uh, you know, and they uh, they say the opposite of sort of what it is that you you mean, and then they're kind of inviting you. You know, oh, so you, you know, you you just you're against the healthcare bill because you hate the poor. You know, and it's like, okay, so. If somebody genuinely believes that, then there's no point debating with someone you think is evil, right? Did you want poor people to be sick? I mean, that would be evil, right? I want poor people to die of cancer. I think that would be pretty evil, a pretty evil sentiment. And so I just wouldn't debate with somebody who thought I was evil. I mean, what would the point of that be? If they think I'm evil, there's no debate. If they don't think I'm evil, but they're using it, then they're just being an asshole, right? So they're being manipulative and destructive, so I'm not going to debate with them either, so um somebody has said um how how i used my tools well somebody made a mistake in a video that i did uh, where i talked about uh, disabled uh, somebody um in a wheelchair getting rehab and getting out who was very upset and angry and offended because he maybe he, he i think he thought that i was saying that everybody in a wheelchair is just kind of faking it and they can get better and you know and i i just I mean, that was such a reaction. I mean, who knows what happened to this guy or this man or this woman? Um, Forgive the gender stereotyping, but I assume angry emails on the internet are mostly coming from uh, base of the brain, male fight or flight stuff. Um, uh, Who knows? Maybe this guy's, um, you know, kid was in a wheelchair because it was in a car accident two weeks ago uh, and he was tortured with hope and he saw this accidentally and it, it blew up his circuitry, right? It wasn't abusive. Um I wouldn't respond to an abusive email, but um I did it right back and said, listen, I'm I'm sorry that it upset you. My you know, my intention was, you know, people who are in a wheelchair temporarily because of a broken leg or something that they can get rehab have to get out. I obviously understand that there are people who are in wheelchairs permanently who can't get out of it. And so I will sort of write back if somebody's sparking off me and upset but not abusive, then I'll just sort of write back to say, you know, I'm sorry that this upset you. This certainly wasn't my intention, and so on. Um but um Oh, yeah. I was thinking the other day, oh, man, this is going way back. Back in my early 20s when I was working on, uh, I wrote a, a manifesto, uh, the Rationalist Manifesto, by golly, it was called. Oh, my God, it's 20 years ago. No, it's more than 20 years ago. Oh, my God, I have to turn my microphone up because my ears are old and full of hair. Uh, I have hobbit ears. Uh, it's quite nice. No, no hair grows over 40 where you want it to and everywhere where you don't. So I think we am waiting to get hair on my elbow and one of on my eyeball. But um uh, I had a, um, uh, a male correspondence, uh, like a MAIL correspondence with some guy in Florida. And we just, you know, sparked off each other and it got increasingly disrespectful until I stopped uh, writing um, <laughs> writing back to the guy. Uh, somebody said it starts way before 40, but that guy's from New Jersey. So I think in New Jersey it starts way before puberty, but that's a uh, little different. <laughs> hey, hey, see how brave I am when I'm up here in Canada? Uh, somebody's asked, do I ever regress and remain there, Steph? Yes, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. Um, you know, we build ourselves on every layer that's been there before. And there's no, there's no renovation, there's no self-scrubbing and starting over. We never have a blank slate. We are always building uh, something on top of something else. I, I mentioned this to a listener the other day uh, who was talking about change, uh, change in the South, you know, like... We when we first start to really understand and become curious about self-knowledge, it's like we we suddenly have inherited this hotel. Uh, oh sorry, we've inhe- let's just say we've inherited this old mansion, you know, one of those spooky old mansions on a hill with bats and lightning bolts and <laughs> creaks in the cellar and rats running up and down the belfry. But we've inherited this old house, and we say, well, this old house is crappy and creaky and scary and <laughs> all sorts of nasty. And so what I want to do is I want to turn it into a modern, comfortable, spacious hotel with a spa and, you know, hot and cold running foot rubs and stuff. And so what we do is we sort of take out our plans and we start to renovate this hotel. Now, we don't have the option. So we renovate the mansion. We don't have the option of scrubbing the mansion and starting again. We just don't because we are who we are. We have been through what we've been through. And so every every decision we make about renovating the old mansion is based upon the existing structure of the mansion. So we can say, well, I want to knock this wall out. Well, we're only saying that because there's a wall there, right? So we're making that decision based on what's already there. We say, well, I want to turn these five back rooms into suites, presidential suites or whatever. Say, well, we're only making that decision because there are five bedrooms in the back of the mansion. So everything that we're doing in this renovation is based upon what is already there. And if you renovate without understanding what's already there, you just the whole thing just ends up falling down so you need to study who you are in order to effectively change for the better and so yeah i, I regress for sure i get uh, i have to like <laughs> i will get some bitchy uh email or or particularly if it's a public thing And I will occasionally, not too often, but I will occasionally, I will have to like sit on my hands so that I don't type a response back. Because it's like,
3: oh, don't
0: engage, don't engage. And so I have to, uh, I have to really sit on my hands. And it's not easy. And not easy. I'll sit there and I'll grumble to myself for 10 minutes, you know, making my toast or whatever. I'm trying to think of the perfect response that's going to, you know, put the person back in their place and make them go. Oh, snap, baby. Yeah, of course, we all want to hit those flaming tennis balls back into other people's faces. Sure. Oh, I shouldn't say we all, I do. But um I just sort of remember what uh, what I'm all about. Listen to the Miko system, who are all saying, don't do it, don't do it. Right. And you, you see this with journals on the board, right? It's like, oh, please don't respond to people. Oh, there goes another one. Oh, there goes another one. Here we go stampede, right? Um, just I just have to not do it. I just have to not do it. It's just a matter of knowing where it leads and knowing that I'm never going to be somebody who's indifferent to that. Uh, it's just not possible based on who I am. It doesn't mean I have to respond. Uh, it means that response, responding to it is to put fuel on a very nasty fire, but um, oh yeah, you just want to bam, you know, where you, you come back with the perfect zinger and you imagine this full Whole of people who are like yeah you know you got him and all that sort of stuff right and um you just um just don't do it you just don't do it because even if you win you lose right Let's say you humiliate the other person and whatever right, right well you're just you're just fulfilling their simon the boxer thing right um that's not a role that that i want or you want i think yeah just don't do it it's it's the it's the nike right um, I, think, I think what Tiger Woods must have done is just looked at uh, himself in the mirror too often with that just do it, <laughs> loco on his head. Ah, dear. Tiger, tiger, birding bright in the waitress of the night. Anyway. <laughs> tiger, is he in you? <laughs> Absolutely. Probably, if you bent over to tie your shoe. Absolutely. Uh, Have I started working on the objectivism stuff you said you wanted to address someday? Um, uh, I've got notes. Um, Right now, I am uh, reading, and it's taking a bit of time, uh, I'm reading uh, a novel of mine. Actually, I'll throw it into the chat room in case people are interested and want to have a sort of listen. I've done the first, I don't know, 20 chapters or whatever. But um, I'm working on reading a historical novel of mine that I've always really liked. And actually, as I <laughs> as I reread it, um, which I haven't done in many years, uh, I like it even more now. And that's not always easy, you know, when you read some of the stuff that you've written before. Sometimes it's like, ooh, really? But uh, this, you know, I really, really like it. I think it's a very complex and challenging novel. And so I've been uh, working on that. And uh, we will see... Uh, what happens from there. But uh, it'll, take a, it'll take a little bit uh, longer. I'm trying to get an objectivist uh, on the show, uh, but uh, eh, they don't no like you to talk too much, at least not to me. So, Steph, do you see any reason to do a podcast on European socialism? I absolutely do see a need to do a podcast on European socialism. Uh, I think it would be fantastic because that is the Elysium Fields, right? That is the paradise that socialism uh, scurries off to surviving, right? Whenever you talk about it, it's like, well, yes, but socialism in North America is bad. But boy, those socialists over there in Sweden or in Norway or Denmark or whatever, those guys are having a great old time and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I think it would be great. Um, I'm trying to dig up, uh, you know, it's on the list, right? Dig up a guy who really knows what he's talking about because it's a lot easier to ask questions than do all the research myself. So... Uh, I would like to, uh, I would love to do that for sure. Oh, thank you for reminding me about makeup and earrings. I did think about it this week, but I haven't come up with anything intelligent yet. So uh, please remind me, I uh, just put this in uh, feeds.feedburner.com forward slash just poor. You can, uh, that's the feed. You can put it in iTunes or whatever. And uh, please let me know what you think. Uh, I'm always eager to get uh, feedback. Uh, this is a novel I wrote in my twenties and, uh, I do like it. Oh, and just a reminder that Revolutions is still available, or is now available, again, um, at stores.lulu.com forward slash free domain radio. It's back, baby. A letter. Some people say, my God, you know, it's 90 bucks secondhand or whatever, right? So uh, we're okay. All right. Well, I think we can finish a few minutes early. It sounds like the family's having fun downstairs. And fun though it is to listen to myself talk, I get enough of that during the week. So, um, unless anybody has any yearning burnings, you can hack them in, uh, or we can have a slightly shorter show. Oh. The luxury of anarchism. Uh, No, Peacock doesn't do interviews anymore, sadly. I did try. I did get another spectacular get for an interview, but it's going to take a little while. uh, Ooh, look at that. I'm just teasing y'all. Boo-ha-ha-ha. Steph, any advice for someone who is working backwards in their career? I've applied to over 400 jobs in the past year and frequently visit places I'm interested in working. Well, I got my first interview and was hired on the spot. Unfortunately, it's something I was doing over 10 years ago, a big strike to the ego. Oh, yeah. I'm, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I know. My God, is it ever tough out there these days. And, uh... You know, living through the brutal death throes of fascistic corporate statism is not a pretty thing. I, you know, the only thing that I can suggest, and this is this is not going to make all of the pain and humiliation go away, which I completely understand. Um, the only thing that I can suggest, my friend, is to recognize two two things. The, the first is that it is not. Uh, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault that us clowns have wrecked the economy. You know, the trillions and trillions of dollars have been wiped out by the ruling classes for their own fun and profit. It's not, it's not your fault. It's not that you've made a massive failure of your life. It's not like you got addicted to, you know, crack and hookers and ended up face down in a gutter in, uh, uh in Vegas, uh, with, uh, uh, some sort of disco bondage headgear on your face, uh, you just caught up in the downdraft. Oh, <laughs> caught up in the downdraft. What a great mix of metaphors. You're sucked down in the undertow of a recessive economy. I don't, I don't believe that there's going to be a recovery in the U.S. And this, this is not true. I understand. This is, this is my opinion, right? I, I don't have any proof for this. Uh, I mean, there's some statistical evidence. And uh, Richard D posted something on the board that's very important. A very important graph about the diminishing returns on investment from debt in the U.S. I, I don't believe there's going to be a recovery uh, in the U.S. I think uh, unless some magical thing is invented, like the computer, right? The computer is what saved statism in the '80s through to now. Uh, the computers and the internet is what has saved statism. Otherwise, it would have collapsed years ago. Uh, the the computer and the internet is that sort of. Static machine, static air electricity machine from the 20th century motor company in Atlas Shrek. It's what has allowed statism to survive. Otherwise, it would have collapsed. You know, 20 years after they put in the big social programs, it would have collapsed in the 80s, except for computers and, and all of that. So unless something amazing is invented uh, in the next few years, which I don't think is going to be the case, certainly nothing that big. And it will take, it took a while for computers to, to to. I mean, personal computers to even get into the workforce in any significant numbers. So I think it's too late for that. But unless something just mind-blowing comes into existence like free energy or teleportation or something like that, um, I mean, statism is, is dead. Uh, so I, I didn't. there's not gonna be a recovery. There's not, the, the debt level is too high. The American manufacturing center has been too gutted. The, um, the public sector unions are too powerful. Yeah, the iPad is not going to cut it. Yeah, not quite. Um, there's, there's not going to be a recovery. This this is the new reality. Even if there was a recovery uh, within a couple of years, the boomers are going to hit the retirement um, uh, rolls and start collecting Social Security. Their medical bills are going to go up and they won't be contributing taxes. So uh, government's going to get, to get even more starved and control even more of the economy. There's not going to be a recovery in my very strong opinion. But again, don't. Obviously, don't take anything I say as gospel. That's just my opinion. But I think there's lots of good evidence for it. So this is the new normal. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Uh, it really isn't. You know, it's really important that we not take personally that which is inflicted on us, particularly by evil people. I mean, we you, you just can't you can't take it personally. I mean, the, the natural reaction is to take it personally because we are self-actualized people who want to believe that we're in control of our own lives, and in many ways we are. But the problem is that if you allow bad people to define your relationship with yourself, which is really what you're talking about here, then you're giving them more power than they deserve, and certainly more power than they've earned. And the only people that you should give control over your self-esteem is other virtuous people. And so this is, this is the new normal, So that's the first thing that I would say. Just don't give the power away to bad people. And that's an easy thing to say. And I'm not saying, I struggle with it too, right? I'm not saying that it's easy. But the second thing that I would say is that, and I know this sounds a lot like there are starving kids in India, but there are people in the world who would kill to be where you are. I mean, there are 99% of the population in the world would kill to have a job doing what you did 10 years ago and have the kind of security and Vestiges of freedom that are significant left that you have, and you are an incredibly lucky human being. When you look at two two things, I look at two things. I look at human beings throughout history, and I look at human beings across the world. And whenever I start to get down on my circumstances or problems in my life, I remember hundred years ago, some third world country. You know what? What are my choices? So. I would really, really recommend that. And the, you know, the, you can also think of your deathbed, right? How much would you give when you're on your deathbed to come back and get to relive the part of your life from this part onwards? Well, you'd give anything to be where you are right now. And so, it's not perfect; it doesn't solve all your problems, but it's a perspective that I find gives me a great deal of comfort in these challenges. Yeah, it is. It is tough. It is tough. I, uh, I, I got a little tired of the roller coaster, you know. At particularly as an entrepreneur you, you get a little tired you get a little tired of the randomness of the business world and I think if you've only been an employee you experience it to some degree but when you've been sort of at the top of an organization it's really exhausting uh, to the randomness of what goes on in the economy based upon oh the government's raised this tax oh the government's changed this rule oh the government allows this R&D program oh the government doesn't allow this R&D program I mean, there was a. I worked at a company <clears throat> and I was in charge of getting the R&D, R&D tax credits here, and this company had gotten R&D tax credits for many years and had made the whole hiring decision based on that, and then the, the auditor was switched, the new auditor came in and disallowed everything. Well, I mean, that's crazy. It It's like there are no rules, right? I mean, we did the same thing that we did the year before, the same thing we did the year before, and it all just changed because we got some new guy in who was, you know, whatever, different interpretation of the rules. That kind of randomness, you just get kind of sick of, right? Or like some public sector union goes on strike and the whole deal collapses. I mean, these things are going to happen in a free market as well. But I mean, I got just a little bit tired of these random electric shocks and benefits. And it's like a, you're like a rat in a cage where it's just raining electrodes. Uh, you just, there's no escape from the randomness of it. And um, I, got, I got kind of tired of that kind of stuff. And uh, trying to, I mean, in business you have to plan at least at the level that I was at. You have to plan at least two years out, and and two to five years out was the the time frame that I was working in. And uh, I just I got tired of. I mean, anybody who wants to guess what's going on in two years is mental. It's like asking what the weather's going to be like in two. Oh wait, people do that because they get paid to global warming (laughs) climatologists. But uh, I, I just got a little bit tired of the randomness. And FDR is was a little bit my way of going on strike uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, I think that it was better for the world and certainly better for me in many ways to do it. I mean, I, I do miss the income and <laughs> I do miss the expense account and all that sort of stuff. But, um, but I did, uh, I did get a little bit tired. Uh, it is, uh, it is a crazy ship to be on during going through these rapids. So, um, I really do sympathize. There's no, uh, easy particular, a particularly easy solution that makes it all go away. But, um, It is a very, very... I would not want to be born in the future and I would not want to be born in the past. To be even a small part of this fulcrum that is tilting the world from historical hierarchy to future anarchy is such an unbelievably exciting honor and venture to be associated with that I would not want any, um, any other time to be alive and to be doing what I'm doing. There is such great excitement and honor in what we're doing here right now. The opportunity will never come again to be as powerful in changing the world as is now. Because in the future, there will always be the internet. And in the past, this was not even possible. So uh, there is no greater glory and no greater excitement than to be doing what we're doing right now. So with all of the hardships, remember that you are associated with and involved in a very, very powerful philosophical movement that that already has changed the world and people in it and will continue to do so. Again, I'm not saying that makes getting up to do a job you did 10 years ago, a song and dance routine, but it is a very exciting thing to be part of this growth of philosophy. The only thing I can suggest is that in the absence of that, it might be even worse for you. Yeah, some people say about buying a property rather than keeping money in the bank. It's a, it's a tough call. Uh, I'm no financial advisor or financial expert in general, in general. I would say that um, fixed assets like cars and and houses, things that are tradable, uh, food and so on, that those things are better than currency. The the currency is definitely going to take a hit, um, to say the least, and stocks and bonds as well to some degree. But um, uh, I think that, you know, get out of debt, pay pay off as much as you can, uh, try to get as much stuff uh, around that is tangible. Uh, So convert your currency into stuff. Because stuff doesn't devalue in the same way the currency does, it's impossible. So that would be my suggestion. I mean, <laughs> uh, I drive a car that's twelve years old, and uh, I'm not going to get a new car for the next decade. I'm I'm happy to be driving a twenty-year-old car. I'm just not I'm just not going to do it because I'm not going to trade the security of having a fixed asset for the insecurity of going back into debt. Uh, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, my wife's car is like nine years old. We, you know, we're three steps away from a um, vintage car rally or a chitty-chitty bang-bang. Oh, yeah, mine's 18 years old. That's good. Well, mine's a Volvo, so it should last at least 20 years, and that's the goal, right? I bought it. I mean, I bought the car back, oh, back in the heady days when I had a significant car allowance, so uh, it, was a, it was a good car to buy back then, because a good chunk of it was paid off by the company I was working for. So.
2: Oh, those days.
0: Not those people who think I made it for the money. That's too funny. All right. Well, I guess we have hit our 6 o'clock cutoff date. Uh, Thank you again so much for all of your support. I'm going to give your your absolutely general and uh, greatly appreciative uh, shout-out of thanks. There we go. There is your shout-out of thanks. Uh, If you do speak Wookiee, you will really understand what a beautiful poem that is. So um, thank you so much, and uh, I hope that you have an absolutely wonderful week. And um, remember to um, (laughs) let me know what you think of the novel if you get a chance. And um, I will, uh, I guess, uh, see people in September at the barbecue. I hope that you will be able to make it. Bring your appetite. Uh, We will stuff you full of uh, food and drink and uh, great conversation. So have have an absolutely fantastic week. Uh, It is near the end of the month, so if you have a few dollars rolling around, Give them to me before they're completely devalued by the Fed. <laughs> uh, I would really appreciate it if you would do what you can to support the show. Uh, it is great. Uh, it has been exciting with the US downturn. You know, given the number of listeners in the US, uh, some European listeners have stepped up to help. And uh, I really do appreciate that. And so if you do have uh, uh, some money to throw my way, you know the website, freedommaderadio.com forward slash donate is the place to go. And uh, if you can subscribe, so much the better. You do get some bonus goodie podcasts and uh, some disco bondage headgear i think this week so if you could do that uh, before the uh, end of the month that would be that would be great so uh, have yourselves a great week and i will talk to you soon